The reading today is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, found on page 976 of the Pew Bible. First, let us pray. Father God, as we come here today, help us to remember and know what you have told us, that all scripture is breathed out by you and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Amen. Ephesians 1, chapter, chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The word of God for the people of God. Um, we, we have followed through Ephesians chapter 1 where Paul has had this wonderful benediction and blessing of God for all his gifts to us, kind of laid those out, and, and then we've moved to this prayer where um, Paul is, is praying for the, the church, the believers at Ephesus, and um, um, in this prayer, he's also continuing to glorify God, his, his just... Um, celebrating in God's blessings um, overflow. And, and one of the things he wants us to understand, that he wanted the church at Ephesus to understand, is who we are in Christ. In particular, who we, we are as a collective, as an assembly in Christ. And, and so he um, gives us this image of um, the, the exalted Christ who is uh, over all things. We, we talked last week about his name is above every name, and because of that, everything is also under him, is subjected to him. He is uh, the fullness of everything, and he indwells the church in a unique way and is the head of this church, and there's this sense of this overflowing of God's glory and, and goodness and blessing in Christ that just overflows into the church and fills all things. And he looks at this unique role we have at the church. And I almost have this image of one of those fountains. I prefer a, cha a chocolate fountain, but if you want to just look at an ordinary water fountain, fine. But, you know, where the tears overflow and went into those, we receive his fullness, um, the overflowing of his grace. And it's in the church. And I want to pause here a minute because we need to think about what the Scripture understands the church to be. Um, because it's one of those, you know, it's like so many kind of religious words. We, we use it and everybody just kind of assumes they understand. And maybe we need to pause and make sure we understand when he says church, what does he mean by church? And how do we understand church? And I, um, so I want to look at that for just a moment before we see how this um, church relates to Christ. The, the word church um, is the word assembly, the, the word gathering. Um, 
know, it, it's a, a problem in English that the building and the, the people uh, share the same term. Um, but in the, in, the, in the New Testament, in, in the Bible, the understanding it is the assembly. Uh, the word is also used in the Old Testament of the gathering of God's people. So there's definitions about who may enter the assembly and who may not. Um, there's an understanding of, of Moses addressing the assembly, the, the church, the congregation, the people of God. And so with this word, um, I think in modern America, uh, we, we bring some baggage. So I want to point out a few things um, that might lead us astray. And, and the first is, um, because well, I heard somebody talking about this Wednesday, because the rest of the United States did not adopt the incredibly sensible uh, Southern understanding of the word you, of having a singular and a plural, you and y'all, um, we don't make distinctions in English of you. And everybody knows y'all would be much better than you guys. So there would be no, no contest there. But here's, here's the thing. Um, you, you look at a passage and you hear the word you, I bet you automatically assume me, individual. And yet most of the time, or maybe not most of the time, but much of the time when the Scripture is saying you, it's addressing the collective of the church, y'all. Um, that, that was one of the things of the King James Version. It made the distinction between the ye's and the these. Um, and the ye's was the plural, and I guess yet, yet again, y'all would be a better choice. But but because we read it, there's a temptation for us to read Scripture as a personal, individual thing rather than remembering this is addressed to a group of people. It's addressed to us collective. There, there's also the sense which we in America are just very individualistic. Um, we, we focus very much on the individual. We um, kind of arrange things so that the individual takes priority over groups, even above family. Um, and especially above something um, as organized as a church. And then we also, because we have a freedom of religion, and because churches, we want to get along with other believers, uh, there's a sense in which we downplay the things that are really critical to being a church. Um, so in, in one sense, anybody can just go set up an organization and call themselves a church. And we kind of don't question that any more than we question somebody just calling themselves a Christian. But, but anybody who maybe is or is not a Christian calling themselves a Christian, um, you know, if they're not, we would say it's a hypocrite. And, and we can very much have groups that or call themselves a church and yet biblically are not. And because there, there's just the sense we, we think that we shouldn't question anyone who calls themselves a church, and yet there are imposters out there. Um, we, we tend to downplay really critical, important things um, for the sake of getting along with believers. For example, we believe that other people are truly Christians, and there's other true churches who might disagree about the Lord's Supper, might disagree about baptism, might disagree about what kind of offices are in the church. And because we want to cooperate on mission and we want to celebrate that connection, which is very good because those are of first importance, there's a tendency to downplay the others and say, well, it really doesn't matter 
about these other things. Baptism really doesn't matter. What really matters is your relationship with Jesus. And there's a sense in which your, your view of baptism is not what gets you in, in heaven. And yet, it is a gift God has given to his church. And so we want to understand these things. But anyway, I'm, I'm, all this whole part's a tangent, so just enjoy the tangent. So when we think about the church, there, there's a sense that we, we recognize that part of the church is um, something we see and know and understand. It's kind of the, the structure. It's the, um, um, the organization. We, we have people on a membership role. We organize ourselves and elect officers, and, and there's that. And then we also know that there's part of the church which is deeply spiritual, our true faith. We, we can't see who truly has faith and who doesn't. That's something inward and invisible. And so we recognize that um, the church is at, one, at the same time an organism, but also an organization. Let me one of the, give you a more helpful picture given to me is, if you look at a tree, um, all the life and the vitality and the growth and everything is hidden behind the bark. The bark is you know, kind of dead and hard, and that's kind of the, the life and the structure. The, the bark is not what's, you know, really growing, it's, but it's there to keep it structured. It's there to protect it from harm. And there, there's growth going on inside. And there's very much like that in the church, that we have uh, spiritual vitality and we have growth. And the most important things going on are the things that we can't see. And yet, that doesn't mean we can dismiss the organization and the structure that protects us and keeps us safe and ensures continuity through generations of what the church is. So during the turmoil of the Reformation, as we recognize that there are parts we see and parts we don't see, that we recognize that um, the, the church is created by Christ, not by us, that God himself, through the power of the Spirit, speaks his word and brings people to faith and forms his church. And where the church is, Christ is there. Christ is where the church is that creates the church. Recognizing that the, during the Reformation, the, they debated how do we recognize where Christ truly is, where Christ's true church is. And they, they came up with some marks, some evidence. It's not that if we do these things, we make the church because it's Christ who calls his church into being. But wherever we see these things, we recognize Christ is at work and there his true church is. And so one is of a, a people who um, proclaim the gospel. Um, that we take his word and we hear his word. The sheep hear his voice. And so Christ's word being proclaimed is a sign that Christ is there. If there's a group and they call themselves the church and they're spewing hate and legalism and don't proclaim the gospel, they're not a church. And, and Westboro Baptist comes to mind. You can say you're a church, but you got six members of your family, and the IRS might recognize you, but you're not a church if you're proclaiming hate and not the gospel. So not only that, but the sacraments. Christ has commanded us to receive at his table. Um, he's given us baptism as a mark of his covenant promises. And so wherever we see these, well, we can disagree on them, but you know, if where they are, um, there his church is. And, and so we, we see believers from other traditions who might have 
slight differences in the, in the way they do these things, but we recognize a sacrament is there that is a sign of Christ's presence and therefore the true church. And there's also discipline. In other words, we don't just say these things, we live by them. We hold one another to account that if, if we say we follow Christ, we don't um, just say, well, you can live however. If we say we follow Christ, we're going to live in a way that follows Christ. And so there, there also needs to be a structure there. And I, I'm just, I've, I've, it's just being weighing on my heart more and more as I see um, churches without structure hurting people. Because you have an individual saying, I'm a pastor, where there's no external authority that's going to hold him and discipline him, forming a group that just likes to listen to a charismatic speaker, call themselves a church, and use as a pretense to abuse people and hurt people and lead people away from following Christ because they've been so hurt. And so there's a sense in which if there's not somebody who can take away the office of pastor or minister, that office is really meaningless to me. If there's not an external verification that you are um, a pastor, your authority goes nothing goes no further than your own claim to authority. And, you know, we've seen this in our community. We've seen this in um, headlines where um, people who say they're the church, they preach things but hurt others in the name of Christ. That is not the church. So there, there should be some accountability for all members and especially for leaders. Let me just, I'll, kind of one of the things I was thinking of this is just pointing out there are times that um, the session has dared to disagree with me about some things. You know, I really wish David Womack was here today. Most of the time, I'm so glad they did. You are so good to have good, godly elders. Um, and, I, and I just want to, you know, and I hope you don't know when those are because I hope we're unified. But w- the point I want to make is there's a group who comes and says, I don't think we need to do this. Just because the pastor says we need to do it doesn't mean we need to do it. And if, if there's not some kind of accountability and structure, there's no discipline. It is not a true church. So. This is the church he's talking about, where Christ is, where his gospel is proclaimed, where the sacraments, where there is discipline, where um, there is structure and also spiritual vitality. And this church, it says, is his body. Jesus Christ so identifies with you so loves you, so makes you one with him in union that he says you are his body. You can't sever a head from the body and have life. You are so connected to Jesus that he dares call you his body. That means when people see you, they see something of Christ. That means when, when, when Paul was persecuting the church, when he was seeking to put believers to death, when Jesus appeared to him on the road of Damascus, he didn't say, Paul, why are you persecuting my church? He said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? He so identifies with you that when someone does something against his church, 
it's against his body. He is the fullness, and he fills you uh, with his glory and his grace and his goodness and the fullness of who he is fills you, his body, his church. Um, Eugene Peterson, uh, in his comments on this, point out that Paul wants us to understand not so much what the church does, but who the church is. So if you get this right, you, you work out the rest of it. He, he, he rightly points out that so much of contemporary church life is completely focused about what we do. I can't tell you how many marketing emails and um, phone calls and, and headlines that come of 10 things the church must do, um, things the church is doing wrong. Uh, one that's come out recently is eight things church needs to stop doing. And, and all of this, there's some helpful things to that, but part of the problem with all of this is what's absolutely critical is not so much, I mean, the New Testament doesn't go into a huge amount of detail about how we do things, but it goes into a lot about who you are. And if we understand our identity, then the rest of it will fall into place, and who you are is the body of Christ. Who you are is the, the, the assembly in whom the fullness of Christ dwells. That means not, we're not missing out anything. It's, he's all here for us. He is fully here. And in this fullness of the assembly means our spirituality, our growth in grace, our formation into becoming like Christ has to be primarily corporate. Primarily, our growth in grace is done within a community, not as individuals. Always, I, I think I should like get, get merit badges or maybe cookies. There we go. Cookies or brownies or something for every time I don't respond to Facebook posts that I want to. Um, that, I, that just, you know, I'm showing incredible restraint. God's grace is at work in this. But, you know, when, when somebody kind of says, I read my Bible, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in organized religion. You don't read your Bible. Every letter in here is addressed, almost every letter, I think there's one, is addressed either to churches, not to individuals. There's one addressed to an individual. And, and, and then the, there's some addressed to church leaders of how to lead the body. But it assumes that you hear this word within a community. It's radically part of being with others. And, and it's not just people that we that think like us and look like us, that we want to be with, that it's people God has put us together with, that the way we grow is being part of the family God has, in his providence and grace, placed you with. Um, Michael Horton says that the church is not a group of friends you picked. It's a group of brothers and sisters God has picked for you. So if, um, if someone in here is getting on your nerves, thank God. <laughs> That's how we grow. That's how we mature. Let me, let me just, I, I thought of a few things like this, that if, if we're a body, some of y'all are naming people um, before we go, <laughs> thank you for so and so. You, um, let me, just one simple thing. It, you read scripture by yourself or you watch a, a sermon on YouTube or something. It, it, it hits you. It is radical. It's a very different thing to read it and hear the God's word in the room with somebody else 
Because I, I read this, and I think of myself, my situation, where I am in life, my, my children. But if I read it and I look out at others, and I know the struggles you're going through, and I know the grief you're suffering, it opens just something else to hear this in your presence. It, 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 when, I, when I think of people at different stages in life, of, of someone who's single, a, a student, or um, someone, an empty nester, someone with grandkids. I, 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 I hear this in a very different way than if I'm just so completely focused on my life and my situation. So we need to hear the message in community. The other thing is very much with those people who are different from us is that we, we need real people to serve and to love and to worship with. We, we don't need some ideal of people that we're going to be patient with. We need real people who try our patience if we're going to grow in patience. We don't need some kind of ideal of someone who harms us that we forgive. We need real people who say really hurtful things that we really need to forgive. We can't be a Christian by ourselves. It, it assumes that we're going to be serving one another, that I really have to say, this is not what I want, but I'm going to defer for my brother or sister. And that has to be done in a real way with real people in real disagreements. The only way that's going to happen is if we are in the community together, loving one another and growing in these things. And that's why God places us to grow us and mature us through the difficulty of being with other sinners. There's some way, that's just some ways I can point out, but there's something spiritually different the one who says, when two or three are gathered in my name, I'm their midst. There's something different that takes place in this room when we are here, hearing his words, singing his praises, praying together, and coming to this table. When we are with other brothers and sisters throughout the week, coming to his word, and growing, you are the church, you are the fullness. I, I, one of the things that so illustrates this for me, two years ago, we uh, visited Scotland, took the kids, we wanted to show Keelan some of the places where she was, where she lived there. And we were hoping she would recognize things. And we were going around, and we would say, do you recognize this building? Do you recognize your school? And it's like, mm, no, not really. I remember a picture of it. We, we took her around all these different things, and it was she was straining to remember. She was trying really hard, but she really didn't remember much. We, we walked up to the church that we worshiped at while we were there, um, and she didn't recognized the building you know she recognized the picture of it but it, it didn't resonate we walked in and some of the the older ladies who had loved us who had taught her Sunday school had been part of her life greeted us at the door and she just started crying she recognized the church she recognized the people who poured into her life and loved her and helped form her and that's kind of the sense of, uh, in, in a part of way, she's home. You know, she's part of this church. And that, that is our spiritual formation. It's, it's that we come and we're part of a community that we, we might not recognize the way it's affecting us now. But it is God shaping you and forming you because it is here that his fullness dwells. And he is the head. And under him has been placed all things under his feet. All things have been placed under him. This completely inverts the way we think about things. I don't know if any of us would be crass enough to say 
well, here's Sunday morning and here's the church and now Monday I'm getting back into the real world. I'm getting back into the, the real thing. Uh, there's a tendency to think the real powers are the nations, to think that the real powers are, are the, the, the money and the work and the jobs and, and these things. And here we see that the one whose fullness dwells in us, all of those things have been subjected under him. And, and so it's not that that's the real world. That is the false world of deception. That is the world that is led astray by the evil one. That is the world that tries to live in the insane reality of not believing that there is a God over all things. And it is here that we see the fullness of one who is over all those, who made all things and to whom all things will submit. We worship, we gather weekly to remember the reality that Christ is Lord. His fullness is over all things, and everything will be submitted to him. So a few things. It is crucial for our growth that we do gather. Christ has called us into a community, and the fullness of Christ is here. It's important for you to daily pray, to read Scripture, to come to it on your own. It's, it's crucial that you understand personally your relationship to Jesus but if Christ's fullness dwells in the assembly, the growth that we have and the fullness of Christ is as we gather, especially as we gather, but as we live out our life in this community. And it is here that it's most visible, but that we come together, that we must grow in life together. That we believe the scriptures um, and that, we, um, that we, we see that he is with us and this is how he forms us, is by living in community with brothers and sisters. And the second thing is, as we see a, a culture that continues uh, to mock Christianity, to become, it seems, increasingly hostile to the faith, there's a temptation for us to worry and become anxious. He has submitted all things under his feet. Christ is over all, and every voice that mocks is going to be a voice that kneels and confesses that he is Lord. And if there's anxiety, if there's nervousness about the future of the church, the ages are filled with empires that thought they would put Christianity under. Rome persecuted in the French Revolution, there was a reign of terror that sought to destroy the church. The Soviet Union thought it would kill the church. Communist China has sought to destroy the church. And over and over again, we see them collapse and fall. And the church carries on. This organization that watched the collapse of Rome will be here until Christ's return. Do not worry. Empires rise, empires fall but everyone will submit to our Lord Jesus Christ. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his Christ, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. 
Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten of you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Would you please stand and let us state what we believe through the words of the Apostles' Creed. <clears throat> 